Welcome to the House of Cinema podcast. I am your host, Joe Aragon. With me today, Clara Curtis. Clara, you actually haven't been on a public podcast episode in like a few weeks now. So some some of these people might be hearing your voice for the first time in months. I know. Hi, besties. Um, I know it's so weird because I was thinking about that too because like we literally record like probably closer to two episodes a week, but yeah. <laughs> for the Patreon. So I haven't been public for a while. I've been private. Um, I know. How have you been? <laughs> Tell us how have you been? Oh, guys, I've been so good. Um, the last week or so, a majority of my free time has been consumed by me religiously playing Jedi Survivor. Um, How's that going? Oh Is my god, I'm, it's so good. It's so, I really like the game despite all the bugs and blah 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 because Cal Kestis is one of my favorite Jedi of all time, so I'm having so much fun with him. Um, and I'm finally at the point where I can start like 100%ing all the planets. So Oh lord. Yeah, so I'm just having the best time in the world because I get to just run around and collect things and fill my map out. Um so that's good. Uh <laughs> what else is going on in my life? Um I'm trying You've to You've been watching a lot of movies. You watched Are You There God It's Me Margaret? Oh right? my god, I watched Are You There God It's Me Margaret last night with my mom, which was very fun but also very emotional and I loved that movie so much and if you haven't seen it, you should go see it because it's so special and sweet and I think it's so good. Um, oh, and then today after, well, later today after we're done recording, I'm going to go to uh, a screening of the new movie directed by the people who directed uh, Free Solo. Um, oh, I love Free Solo. Yeah. So I'm excited for that because they'll do a Q&A after um, with the cool. directors. So that's kind of the big hits, I guess. Um, well, I, I would say welcome back. But like you said, we talk... I know. We talk every day <laughs> yeah. to each other, <laughs> yeah. but we do record like two episodes a week, but for the Patreon. So, yeah. but welcome back to the public side of things, I suppose. Hi, everyone. I missed you. Today, we're discussing Godzilla 2014 by the request of one of our patrons. This is what their one of their perks in their tiers. They ask, "Can you talk about Godzilla 2014, and then talk about American adaptations?" of Japanese film and stories or American films heavily inspired by Japanese stories and film, mm -hmm. which is a very interesting topic. I was, uh, yeah. you and I were talking about it. There's a lot of movies that I don't know if people realize were inspired by Japanese stories mm -hmm. or adapted from Japanese movies. A lot to, lot to talk about and unpack, but I want to talk about, well, we have to talk about Godzilla 2014 first, a movie yeah. that I will say to you, I watched around when it came out i was so excited actually yeah. before we jump into the movie oh okay are you a godzilla fan clara i ha okay i'm gonna be honest and say that i haven't seen a ton of godzilla but what i do see of godzilla i really enjoy um with maybe the exception of the american godzilla films that have followed after godzilla 2014 love godzilla 2014 everything yeah. after that i'm a little less partial to you're not a godzilla versus king kong fan clara isn't that so shocking so shocking <laughs> or godzilla king of the monsters oh i was so upset because i love mothra and i was so excited oh, to mothra see too. her she's so beautiful um but yeah i was not a fan of that movie yeah that was that movie has its loyalists and people love that movie yeah but i remember the trailer was like one of the best trailers i've ever seen for that oh, movie. Wow. i was like i was hyped 
so excited. There was like the Mothra was was so beautiful and all these other villains and creatures and kaiju from Godzilla lore is going to be in it. I was on cloud nine Mm -hmm. and the movie itself was not that great. Kind of bad if I remember correctly. I was a little frustrated by it. Same here. So you are a Godzilla fan from what you've seen. Yes, yes, which isn't a ton, a ton, but like I've seen like the original, original Godzilla and I really liked that. But technically speaking, the 2014 Godzilla was my very first ever like Godzilla film that I'd oh, ever seen. Oh, interesting. Yes. Interesting. Little okay. baby me uh, went and saw this in theaters and it was my first Godzilla interaction. But I'm more curious about what your Godzilla relationship is. How much Godzilla have you seen? Do you love him? Isn't he so great? <laughs> I love Godzilla. He is so great. I watched a lot of Godzilla growing really? up. Really? If there was one thing my dad was very good at, was it was showing me Godzilla mm. and showing me uh, like Speed Racer when Ooh. I was younger. Okay, fine. A lot of Speed Racer TV show. But Godzilla, he liked Godzilla a lot. And so that transferred over to me. So I watched a ton of Godzilla. I don't know exactly which ones I've seen. I've really wanted to make it a mission to go back and rewatch all like the Showa era Godzilla because mm-hmm. it's obviously very important for not only in the lexicon of cinema, but Japanese culture is obviously very important, very influential. It's just yeah. it, Godzilla is Godzilla, you know? Right. I really want to go back and rewatch all of them. I haven't got a chance to do that yet. I will eventually. But I watched a lot as a kid. Knew all the creatures. There was Godzilla video games I used to play all the time. Oh, fun. There was a game called like Godzilla versus, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Godzilla versus the monsters. And basically you could play as any of the characters from the Godzilla canon and like fight each other. Oh my it was God. so cool. It was that so much fun. awesome. I know you could play as Mothra and like Rodan and fly around. Oh, it was the best. Wow. Love Godzilla. Big fan of Godzilla. Yes. Strangely enough, when 2014 came out, I was very hyped, very excited. But when I left the theater in 2014, I was not a huge fan. Really? Yes. I will admit that. I think I told a lot of people, not a big fan of Godzilla 2014. Now, though... Uh-huh. I rewatched it for this podcast episode, and I'm like, whoa, is this what m- maturation is like? Is this what it feels like to mature? <laughs> because I kind of loved this. I was a really big fan of what I was watching, and I think Yay. that I wrote down a lot of questions to ask you about it. Oh, my God. So fun. we'll get to those in just a second. But okay. do you have any, I mean, I guess you kind of already, already went into it. This is the first Godzilla movie you saw. Anything yeah. you want to add to your first memory of this movie? Um, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I You're came just out more of mature it... than me at, at this age than I than me. I know. I'm trying to think. I was either like late 17 or early 18 by the time this came out. I think I had just turned 18. I was so mature and sophisticated for my age. <laughs> Clearly, I was like, I was like, there was not enough Godzilla and explosions in this movie. I know. Oh my god. Um, the other thing though, I loved this movie, but it also gave me crippling anxiety because one oh, of my yeah, yeah, yeah. greatest fears <laughs> is disaster movies because I'm deathly, deathly afraid of big, like catastrophic earthquakes, hurricanes, and tsunamis. And I'm terrified 
of airplanes exploding and stuff like that. And this movie has all of that. So that really stressed me out. And then the extra part of that, this is so fun and interesting. I'm just going to get it out of the way. My hometown is referenced by name in this movie, which is really cool, actually, because I came from, like, a little, like, wine country suburb in the Bay Area. Um, Mm -hmm. And my town is mentioned as, like, somewhere where the... What are are the the bad monsters in this called again? I'm totally blanking. It starts with an M. Oh, the the Mutos or Mutos? Mutos? M-U-T-O's? Muto, I think. Mutos. The mute... One of the Mutos that... The one that was in Nevada and coming to San Francisco... At one point, Mm -hmm. they're tracking it, and they're like, where is it? And it's like, oh my gosh, it's like just east of Livermore. And so I was like, oh shit, like (laughs) my hometown is getting eaten. (laughs) And and it's kind of fun because it totally makes sense that they bring up where I grew up because um, a big job supplier. No, no, it's not that. (laughs) There are people (laughs) there, Joe, (laughs) first of all. Second of all, um, a big job supplier for the Livermore area is the Livermore Lawrence Lab or Lawrence Livermore Lab. I don't remember what order it is, but that is a legitimate like nuclear laboratory um, on like it's like on a national scale. It's one of the bigger like nuclear testing places or whatever for the the country. Um, So it makes sense that the Mutus were going towards livermore because they could stop on the way and eat the lab and so me and my sisters all saw it together we were like oh my god like our hometown is dead like they are absolutely like we're dead like we would die if we were in this movie you would Um, be dead yeah we would be super dead and so i was like that's so interesting and cool because like i'd never ever ever heard like my hometown mentioned or at all in a movie before so yeah i've never heard of it until right now i know well okay whatever um (laughs) (laughs) how dare you not know my little wine country town um (laughs) Uh. but it was really cool uh experiencing that but it also really freaked me out because i was watching a lot of natural disasters and then my hometown's getting mentioned as like a point where the mutos are heading and it was just so scary i was like (laughs) i loved that but i'm so scared um but it's fine i did freak out again when we rewatched it this time and it was that's scary. fair a lot of yes. disasters are happening and that's a yes. lot uh, a lot to take in so i don't blame you for that thank you <laughs> so overall godzilla 2014 you said you liked it mm-hmm. overall reaction to the whole movie before i jump into some questions i have for you um i think i think it's nice revisiting this uh after seeing like the original godzilla now because if there's any criticism I can give this movie, it's the lack of, like, anti-nuclear language and the fact that, for the most part, this becomes a major, like, point of success for them is to use nuclear warfare against monsters that literally eat nukes, which is just like, what are you doing? Um, So it's interesting watching something like that where, like, the like, the American filmmaking studios are kind of taking a piece of Japanese history because Godzilla is centered around, like, the reaction to Hiroshima. And so to take something like that that's so crucial to the Godzilla story and almost kind of, like, do the opposite is really bizarre. Um, And I do kind of feel like that shift in perspective is kind of why everything that like follows after this Godzilla isn't quite as good because it's missing such a key part of, like, the Godzilla lore, if for lack of oh, a better yeah, word. Oh, yeah. 
basically ignores any of its meaning and yeah. replaces it with explosions and other monsters and action yeah. set pieces. Exactly. Rather than embrace the origins of Godzilla and you know it, its meaning yeah. and its what it represents. Mm-hmm. That's one of my biggest criticisms that the movie, unlike the old ones, doesn't really take a stance on like the nuclear weapons that countries have and the massive destructive power mm-hmm. that countries have and that the results it could have on the world. Yeah. This movie like dances around it a little bit, but mm-hmm. won't take a stance like the old ones. Like in the old ones, Godzilla is a result of our tampering with a power that is largely unknown to us. Mm-hmm. And the destructive results of that power. In this movie, they it's just like it, it's there, but they don't want to take a stance on it, which is so strange. And that's why it still falls a little bit short of the originals. But mm-hmm. there, it does take some interesting stances in this movie, more than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple questions for you. Ooh, okay, fun. Tell me. What are your thoughts on having basically no Godzilla for the first hour of the movie. Godzilla doesn't we don't get an iconic Godzilla roar until 59 minutes and 22 seconds. I timed it. I clocked it. Oh, it, that's so fun. Um no Godzilla until hmm. 59 minutes into the movie. What do you think? I'm going to be so real like this was something I was a little confused about coming out of the God- of Godzilla when I saw it in theaters, but also like on a rewatch. Is is that criticism of like there's not enough Godzilla? Like where's Godzilla? Because oh, that's when I, when definitely I watch, some people's criticisms. Yes, right. Like people get really fired up about that, and I always have felt a little confused about that. I think because. When he is on screen, he's being so cool. So I'm like, I mean, I feel like this makes up for it. But on the other hand of that, too, is that, like, I really don't notice. Like, I, I, it doesn't even really register for me. Because, and I think it's because his reveal is so big in scale and grand that I'm like... It's I, so fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't mind waiting if this is the payoff. And also, like, I feel like there's enough going on with like the human characters to be engaged and interested and like i'm not sitting there watching those sequences going this is cool but where's godzilla i'm just like this is dope like this is so cool um so i've never really had a problem with it necessarily did it did you is that part of why like when you saw it in theaters you didn't love it Oh, 100%. I was oh. a dumb young man who was like, where's Godzilla? <laughs> He's not in the first hour. Like, am I, am I in the right movie? Wow. But watching it now as a more sophisticated, mature adult, <laughs> yeah. I watched this and I'm like, wow, this is a, such a great allegory for like the anxieties we have about catastrophes mm-hmm. and the government mm-hmm. responses to these catastrophes and the government mm-hmm. hiding so much from the public. Like, I love this kind of very direct metaphor for what's happening in real life. Like Mm. the government is just really not trying to help us. They're just trying to like do what's best for them. Like they knew the whole time that uh, Muto Muto was the cause of the nuclear facility in Japan to melt down and and lead to Brian Cranston's wife, but they they hit it. And I think that's like a really interesting parallel to a lot of, I'm not trying to go into conspiracy theories, by the way. I'm not, not at any point am I like diving into that. (laughs) I personally don't play with that bullshit. I'm not one to like be like a, oh, 9-11 was an inside job. That is 
not oh where God. I'm going with this. Please yeah. do not take that this way. Right. But I think there is, to an extent, a lot of things that happen that the government does not tell the public because they are afraid of their reaction. Yes. Um, so that being said, the first hour of this movie is a lot of it is is really just like a family drama. And mm. it's uh, about you know the, the relationship between people and the government, people and catastrophes. And there is no Godzilla. It's like not even a Godzilla movie for the first first hour almost. And so I found that really interesting. And as now I'm like, I love that. I think it's really, really interesting. Yeah. But I could see that being a big issue for a lot of people. I mean, I think I was on Wikipedia reading like the reception part of oh, Wikipedia. Uh-huh. And it like, you know, summarizes like some of the critics consensus on the movie. And one critic was like, there's just not enough Godzilla. It was a Godzilla movie. Where is Godzilla at? Huh. And I don't know. I think that's like the the issue some maybe modern audiences have, but like if you look at the old Godzillas, I watched a movie called Shin Godzilla. I don't oh, know if I really want. It. I really want to watch that. It looks so it's cool. Dope as fuck. It's so strange, so weird. Not like any Godzilla movie I've ever seen before, but it's really cool as hell. Uh, and that's another one where like you don't get full fledged Godzilla for a a little bit. Like it's not like oh immediate. really. Yeah, it's definitely oh. a little bit slower build to it. But that one, Shin Godzilla is is very much a critique on the government's response to catastrophe mm-hmm. and their lack of, really lack of response or their lack of decision making that results in the death of millions of people. Um, anyways, mm. I just think it's interesting they don't put Godzilla in the first hour of the movie. I like it, but I, could, I, I know for a fact that bothers people for sure. Huh. Yeah, I do too. I think the other now I'm thinking about it more because, like, like I said, like I I almost don't even think about it <laughs> because I'm just like this is a good movie. Um, but I think the other thing that helps it work in that first hour where we don't have Godzilla focusing on the characters gives us a chance to see like a depiction of generational trauma surrounding natural disaster or not natural yeah. in terms of like a nuclear like problem but like a disaster like the collective trauma of that for our community and like how it's passed down by generation to generation because obviously brian cranston is destroyed forever by the loss of his wife during this thing and it completely like eviscerates his relationship with his son like they're like not really in contact they're strained and then like as he dies like that mantle is almost picked up by his son and then He's meant to be protecting his family, but that basically collides with the reality of these natural disasters, which is that it's from a, a monstrous entity. Um, so I think it's really interesting to see that because, like, that's very true. Like, I mean, even especially even in Japan, like the generational trauma surrounding like the massive earthquakes they've experienced. Like Suzumi just came out <laughs> like a month ago, and that's very much depicting the same concept of generational like grief over a tragedy like that. So I think the first hour works really well in that regard as well. Where, like, we're getting to sit in the aftermath of something so massive and see how it affects people for, like, years and years and years. Which I'm just like, I love that. Like, I think that's so interesting. I completely agree. And it gives the movie an added layer that a lot of, like, monster movies, let's just, you know, as a very broad umbrella term, monster movies or action movies don't have. And that's a very, very emotional and moving human element. The po- the problem with like a movie like Godzilla 2014 or um, Godzilla King of the Monsters is that they attempt to give us this really half-baked relationship between 
this mother, this uh, her husband, and their daughter. Yeah. And it just doesn't really work very well because we don't get any time to really build that relationship between the two or between mm-hmm. the three of them. You know, they have, like, this falling out. She doesn't have a great relationship, if I remember correctly, with, like, her mother. Yeah. It just... No time is really dedicated to building any type of, like, character or relationship work between these people. Mm -hmm. So when someone dies in that movie, it's not, like, a really moving moment. It's not even, like, a big deal because we had spent zero time with them. Yeah. But in Godzilla 2014, we spent a literal hour with Cranston, his wife, his son, Mm -hmm. and then just Cranston and his son. And it builds such a really moving dynamic Mm -hmm. that when we do get the the moment where Brian Cranston dies, it's really emotional. It's sad. And you understand like that generational trauma that's being passed down mm-hmm. from person to person because we spent so much time with them. And Absolutely. so like, it's a, it's a bold move to not put Godzilla in your Godzilla movie for the first hour, mm-hmm. but I like it. I'm a fan. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. I think it's so bold to be doing. And I think the payoff is worth it. So here's this leads perfectly into the next question I have for Ooh, you, okay, which fun. is another thing I see people bringing up a lot. Do you think they killed off Brian Cranston's character too early and too quickly? Too early. <laughs> that that um, some, well, because you know Cranston at this point is like at the height of his career. I don't know when yeah. Breaking Bad ends, but it's like either going on during this point or it's right. just ending. Right. So Cranston is is probably the biggest star in this movie easily. Mm. Um, I think, no, honestly, I think it works perfectly that this is the moment where he's lost because it's also, like, the moment where, like, his son and him are finally on the same page. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think there's something particularly, like, I hate to use the word gratifying, but I just, I really like stories where you have these kind of frayed, tense relationships between children and their parents and then just as it seems like things are maybe going to reconcile, that's when, like, the parent dies and you lose any opportunity for further repair. Because in my opinion, I know that's, like, a very hot take. People really don't like that. That's, um, maybe skip, like, tw- 10 seconds while I say this. That's, like, one of the biggest spoilers or controversies in The Last of Us 2 is, like, that same concept of, oh, they're finally going to forgive each other. Oh, my God, someone's dead. Um, yeah. And so... I, I don't really... think you think of a spoiler on Last of Us 2. Has not been long okay. enough? Come on, it's been long well, but, enough. So, but the problem is, is there's so many new audience members who have only seen the show, so they don't know. Oh, good point. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. S- sorry if I spoiled that, um, but hopefully you skipped. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just really like stories like that. I like the reality of that because it's very true, and I think a lot of the time the people who are criticizing a move like that where they're, like, frustrated or, like, what's the point of them, like, finally seeing I die if you're just going to kill someone off is, like, truthfully and kind of bluntly, I think a lot of those people have never lost a parent, um, <laughs> and they don't realize that that's very much the reality for a lot of people who lose their parents, um, especially, honestly, when you're relatively young, like, obviously... Uh, the the main character in this movie isn't like a baby. Like it's not like he's like fresh yeah, out of but college. He's like early twenties, mid twenties, the most. He's definitely still pretty young, and so like it's very much the reality for a lot of people who lose their parents young. That like it's not it's not some perfect thing where you're ending on perfect terms all the time. Like sometimes you are fighting when your parent dies, and it sucks yeah. ass. And so wow. I really I love I love I love I love that like 
they are finally getting that moment of like, oh my god, like, I get why you've been doing this now, like, you were right, essentially, or like, any resentment I have towards you, like, I'm willing to set aside to like, recognize what you've been through in this moment is so powerful, and then it it's done. And you're not having, I think also it works because then you're not spending the rest of the movie dwelling on that necessarily. You're not getting like cutaways to almost kind of unnecessary moments where they're bonding more or stuff like that, you know? Like it's a very cut and dry, like they're repairing their relationship and now it's over because that's like the reality of life and you're never going to know when your parent dies. And now you have to just deal with the grief of that and keep fucking moving. And I think that's really cool. So I really like it. Um, I will say, I'm not adding anything to what you said because it was so (laughs) brilliantly and eloquently said. Thank you. I agree. We can just move on from that. Thank God my dad died when I was young, so I could say that. No, I can't bring it up. (laughs) I was trying to move on so you wouldn't say it. I'm always going to say it because I think it's so funny when you react like this. (laughs) Because. I love you to death. Wow. Okay. Uh, it's all good. Okay. What's the next question? Next question. <laughs> For people who think Brian Cranston died too early, listen to what Clara said. I think they made a really great point. Thank you. Uh, next question. Do you think they messed up by not using an iconic Godzilla villain in this movie, but instead using the Mutos, a villain they made up for this movie? I'm pretty sure. Oh, that's interesting. Do you think it would have been smarter if they would have used someone more iconic in the Godzilla canon? A Rodan? Maybe not King Ghidorah because that's too big. Not Mecha Godzilla, But there's a whole gallery of villains they could have used. But they opted to make up a new one. Which is interesting because the Mutos, like we talked about, they eat nuclear warheads, basically. Yeah. And use that to grow. Which I think you can almost make the argument that like they represent like the destructive power of nuclear warheads and explosions and explosives yes exactly the more they take in the more damage they cause type deal yes um and they kind of just like reproduce more damage because i mean it's it's like feeding the babies basically so you could look at it that as like the allegory for that Ooh, okay yeah do but. you think it would have been smarter to like throw in a Rodan, a throw in a, a, a iconic Godzilla villain to maybe bring in more people and get people more excited? Um, personally, no, and it's totally me springboarding off of everything you just said because I think taking such an iconic like piece of Japanese media and bringing it to Ameri- American audiences, like there's the necessity to do things very differently, and like criticism is that it's not enough, like, anti-nuclear stances. But on the other hand, I do think bringing in these new monsters that, like you said, are very specifically designed to devour more nuclear energy and, like, that hunger for it and, like, that need for it is really powerful given where we're at now. Like, obviously 2014 as well, but even it's almost more poignant now where, like, to an extent, like, we're essentially sitting on the precipice of, like, nuclear fallout and holocaust and terror <laughs> at yeah. the moment because everyone's just progressively stockpiled more and more and more nuclear weapons over the years and kind of, like, ig- like not ignored, but a lot of countries have essentially seen the horrors of, like, Hiroshima and just said, fuck it, and we don't yeah. care, and have continued to develop these weapons and stockpile them and have them, like, at the ready and other countries have willingly threatened to utilize them. (laughs) Um, And so I just think 
using a new monster for that reality works really well because like the 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 reality of nuclear warfare has shifted since the 50s when Godzilla was first born like it's it's a different climate with it unfortunately and so i think having a new monster for that ends up working really well um I love all the traditional monsters. I think they're so cool. I already said I'm obsessed with Mothra. I think she's so cool. But she's I the think... best. I almost got a Mothra tattoo one time. Ooh! But I was afraid. This is just me, my my fragile masculinity speaking. Ten okay, years ago, okay. I was like, if I get a a tattoo of Mothra, people might think it's a butterfly, and then mm. I don't want people to think I have a butterfly tattooed on me. But now I'm again, I've matured. I'm a mm-hmm. sophisticated person. I'm comfortable in yeah. my cishet life. I would get a Mothra tattoo, and if people think it's a butterfly, that's fine. No big Hell deal. Hell yeah, I'm gonna get. Maybe I will. I'm gonna get a moth tattoo. I keep saying soon, but who knows at this point? Because it's a bigger piece <laughs> but i'm piece it's more detail yeah well i'm planning for sure i'm gonna get ellie williams's tattoo um oh where, okay yeah i love it I, and i want her with me because she's my favorite video game character of all time um so i'm gonna get that eventually and that has a moth in it so i'll have a moth tattoo too let's match get get a moth tattoo all right all right it's fair okay. it's fair <laughs> i think the the fanboy me, the Godzilla fanboy me, is is thinking, gosh, I wish we would have seen some cool traditional Godzilla villain. There's so really? many weird looking kaiju that that exists in the Godzilla universe mm. that a part of me felt like when I went into this movie back in 2014, for sure, I was mm-hmm. like, what a Muto? What the hell is a Muto? Mm. And even now watching it, I think like, oh would have been kind of cool to see some classic villain pop up but because the muto does act as a stand-in as this metaphor for the consequence of the destructive consequence of our greed and mm. and hunger for nuclear power it's, it's so powerful that mm-hmm. i'm ultimately happy with the mutos cool i think if people are upset that there's mutos and not some you know famous godzilla villain Maybe thinking in that way, you'll like it a little bit more. But yeah, I also can can understand the perspective that hardcore Godzilla fans are just you know begging for like some Godzilla lore. I can, right. I can understand that. That's yeah, that is very fair. My other question is: we kind of glazed over it earlier, but I want to bring it up again. How how tragic was that opening scene to this movie? <laughs> oh my god, the opening of this movie is so fucking sad. It It was I texted you like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is way more intense than I remembered." Yeah. Like it it honestly kind of makes me sick to my stomach because it's such a dramatic and devastating thing and like the whole like leading up to it, you know, as she's like the wife and her team are running to try and get to the door in time. I I like it all because you when they're down there and they show the sequence of them going down before like the the plant starts to collapse i feel like you almost don't register how deep underground they've gotten like you're almost like you oh they don't yeah you're like oh they're right there like it, it's fine so i love that they really emphasize then as the thing as the plant starts to fall apart how far away she is and how like quickly the tides turn and how it really is such a instantaneous kind of um tragedy because there's just really no like they're trying so hard and like the whole time you're watching you're like i don't think they're gonna i don't i don't know and then of course the one guy trips and of course she's the one who stops and it's like 
fuck, man, like, keep, just keep going, like, please just run, and it's, like, it's such a devastating moment, and it's really interesting seeing that, like, glimmer of humanity in the face of, like, pure terror, and, like, trying to preserve your own life, like, she's still stopping to help her coworker. Um, yeah. And then it just, it really fucks me up, honestly, the moment where he Screams? shuts the door, and... Yeah. And then it's like there's that silence and he's just breathing and like you just feel the weight of that decision. And by that point, you're like, they're already dead. Like they clearly fell behind. They have to be dead. And then it's like a beat after you kind of have that (laughs) thought. They start pounding on the door. It's just, oh my God, the pounding is just, it, it really like puts a knot in my stomach because it's just like, you're just stuck with it and you're just sitting there like, fuck. And I know. It, I ugh. can only imagine the amount of people who took their kids, like, let's go watch Godzilla, oh, God. this monster movie. <laughs> and then it opens up with Brian Cranston, like, begging his wife to make it to the door so she can survive. And yeah. she's like, I need you to stay alive for our son. Yeah. And I, I hate, I mean, I love, but it's so tragic to watch him standing at the door, like, staring down the hallway, basically. Yes. Waiting yes. for her to show up. She's not. And then you see like all of this basically it's like gas rushing towards him and he knows he has to close the door and he just screams, just screams like this guttural scream and hits the button to close the door because he knows as soon as this closes, she's gone forever. Yeah, it's done. Poor kids of 2014 that may have been traumatized by this moment. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Honestly, probably. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um, We didn't talk about Godzilla himself. Mm. What a bad... I love that guy. What a baddie. Love him so much. Yeah, he's so Um, cool. Thoughts on him being... Obviously, Godzilla is the hero of Japan. I think in the first Godzilla, he's the villain. And then at some point he becomes evolves as like the protector of Japan yes. in the Godzilla lore. Yes. Thoughts on Godzilla now being kind of the protector uh, or savior of, of America. America now. Um, I'm not really a fan of it. <laughs> okay. Um, but maybe that's because I'm just so fed up with America. <laughs> that that like, could be it. That could be yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but I think I think it's tricky because on one hand, I think this balances a key part of Godzilla, which is that to an extent he's meant to be like the balance of the world. You know, that's like, where I lean. Mm-hmm. And, and I was with you in the sense that, like, uh, of course, America would make Godzilla this Japanese hero. The now hero of America. Yeah. But I think if you look at it in the frame that Godzilla is not only a representation of, you know, our consequence and because of our reliance on nuclear power and nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. But if you start to look at Godzilla as like this protector, this balance in the world, not mm-hmm. just in Japan, not just in America, but a balance in the world. Mm-hmm. Then it's then I, I I'm less upset with him being like saving you know San Francisco because I feel like they could have put it anywhere else in the world, mm-hmm. and Godzilla would show up and protect that country as well because Godzilla is kind of just he's a, he's literally a balance and that's yeah the only thing I like about the upcoming movies that have come out after 2014 so Godzilla King of the Monsters and even mm-hmm. Godzilla versus Kong is that there is a theme of balance and order mm-hmm. inside this got in this monster verse basically even all of these monsters they recognize that there is a hierarchy and there is a a a balance that needs to be respected 
Um, that's the one thing I like about King of the Monsters a lot is that there is one that is king and he is responsible for maintaining that balance. And when that balance is thrown off, world the world erupts in chaos. Mm-hmm. So if you look at it in that frame, I don't mind it so much. Yeah, I think in that regard it works. And like truthfully, with how this movie sets itself up, it's kind of impossible for him not to become the champion of America, unfortunately. And I think part of that comes from the fact that as they're talking about him and like alluding to him before he shows up, all the backstory we're getting from him about him is essentially that at whatever point in this movie's timeline, he was still an enemy of Japan. Like they tried to nuke him and get rid of him. And so in that regard, it sets it up as like, like, of course, of course, he's gonna side with America then because Japan doesn't like him and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just an unfortunate reality, which is that they kind of fixated on like him as a villain to begin with. And I like that he gets this moment to like, redeem his image in a way for this like group of people and whatever timeline this is. Um, But it is an interesting choice. It also honestly, the fact that he's balancing nature feels very like Star Wars-y to me. (laughs) Like it reminds me of how the force is a balance in that the force is what decides whether the Sith or the Jedi win in each battle and how if a Jedi falls, then the force will bring a new one forward so that there's always eternal balance. And that's very much what it kind of feels like as Godzilla's role in this world is like. He's just going to show up and balance things out whenever necessary. And it works. It's cool. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I don't love, I don't love that they, they really kind of put the emphasis on him being the hero of America at the very, very end. If they'd kept it as purely like a, he would like, he would have done this for any country. kind. You know what I mean? Like if it'd been a little broader, but the fact that it ends with like <laughs> them being in a football stadium of all things and he's on the jumbotron and like people are cheering for like, it's just like, it's so American. It's like, it's almost like heavy handed <laughs> how American that celebration is. And it's like, ugh, like, I don't know. <laughs> That's my biggest qualm with it as well. If, if I think there is a way to do it where, he walks off into the water and it's over with. He saved, you know, San Francisco. Great. But mm-hmm. the fact that they throw it, like, literally he's on the Jumbotron and it says in the bottom, Godzilla, savior of San Francisco? Or it says, it's just like the world savior. It, it, it says something mm-hmm. like question mark savior. I don't know if it says like San Francisco savior, America savior. It's, it's going to bother me if I don't remember. But regardless. But yeah, people are cheering for him as he's like walking off you know off into the sunset essentially into the water mm-hmm. it's a little like super heavy-handed and i don't i'm not totally in love with that but yeah. i think there is a way to to interpret it as he is this balance and godzilla has always now from a certain point in history in his lore he represent a certain kind of balance and yeah. uh that's an interesting way to look at it too yeah absolutely um anything else about godzilla 2014 you want to mention we unpacked a lot kind of proud of us here we really did um before we talk about other movies that have been inspired by japanese film and stories um i guess my last question is just i feel like a lot of like japanese godzilla part of his charm i guess is the best way to put that is that a lot of the time godzilla ends up being like a guy in like a rubber suit (laughs) Uh, oh yeah true 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 yeah and it's pretty fun and like obviously 
if you want to, like, be, like, a contrarian or whatever, you can be like, it looks dumb. But I think it looks really cool still. But I I'm I'm curious what you think in terms of, like, that shift where we're going from something that's a little bit more on the practical side and, like, feels a little more, maybe a little more silly, but is a bit more, like, part of the, the appeal of the original Godzilla franchise. And then we're getting this adaptation where he's, like, hyper-realistic. Do you like that shift? Do you think it ends up working okay? Or do you almost kind of miss, like, the OG guy in a rubber suit? <laughs> We are kind of skipping a very important, maybe not good, maybe not even remotely good, but a very important stepping stone from the Japanese practical Godzilla to the American 2014, and that's Godzilla 1998 Mm. with Matthew Broderick in it, and I can't remember who else is in it, but Matthew Broderick's in it, where we this is like the first time... Godzilla has been heavily, heavily Americanized and adapted for the Western audiences, completely changing almost the way he looks, oh. uh, putting him in New York, and having him be straight up just the bad guy. Oh. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Oh, it's so bad. It's oh. so bad. Oh, I was I was hoping you were about to say it's really cool, but okay. No, I mean, like, <laughs> the creative decisions are cool. Like, Godzilla is... Thinner, much thinner, has a longer oh, like snout. No. Oh no! Oh no! Has longer arms. <laughs> okay. Uh, it can like run real fast. Uh, has the iconic roar still. Cool roar. Cool. But he's essentially the bad guy in oh. um, in New York. He like comes to New York, or she actually comes <gasps> to New York. Slay. And she. Of starts course, they up made her skinny. Oh my god! Of course. Well. I don't know. If, I mean, that's one way to look. She lays a bunch of eggs in like the subway tunnels of oh. of New York, and so they have to like go and blow all them up, and then no, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, that movie's okay. bad. Gotcha. It's bad. It's not good. But to answer your question, the the kind of transition from the more practical rubber suit guy and the small model houses and cities they blow up to this obviously more digital age with the cgi mm-hmm. i think it looks great yeah <laughs> i don't i don't think we're not a point in history where we can ever really do that again have that level of practicality in a, mm-hmm. in a big movie like this mm-hmm. i mean dungeons and dragons which you haven't seen yet have you i have seen i love that movie that's like unreal you saw you saw the most recent one yeah i told you that oh, i didn't know that oh, oh i thought i told I'm you that. a bad friend no no you no, did no, not no. tell me that I feel like I did because I was like, that was so... Yes, I did because remember I, I saw it and then you sent me a list and you were like, I, when I heard you were going to see it, I wrote this down and it was predictions for, for what Clara thinks oh, of yes, Dungeons yes, and Dragons. Yes, 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 and yes. then you got them all right. They were all correct. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to practicality in movies, there's mm-hmm. only a certain amount of like a, a level of practicality that's going to be allowed for modern audiences. Mm-hmm. Dungeons and Dragons is a good example of how much practical effects can be used before an audience member, audiences will just like ignore it and throw it away and dismiss it. Yeah. Because in in Dungeons and Dragons, you get a lot of characters like Jonathan, totally practical. A lot of the costumes and and, uh, like the species in Dungeons and Dragons, practical. Mm -hmm. Looks great. Love it. We're now in a part in in a time of our lives where that can't exist in Godzilla, but I think Mm. they did a really good job translating 
the Japanese hero of Godzilla into mm. a more modern American lens that mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. digestible for Americans, but still very recognizable. I don't think it's like it looks that different from the uh, original Godzilla. I think it looks a little bit different, but not mm. in, a, in a sense that like, oh, wow, they changed it completely. Not like the 1998 version, which looks like, wow, it looks strange. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but at any rate, I think it looks good, and I think it looks scary, and I think it looks fun and cool, and I love his roar, and I love his lightning breath, and I think uh, Godzilla is a cool, cool guy. Yeah. Okay. What well, do you that's think? Good. Um, I agree. I think, I think that transition does work really well, and I think with the situations that are happening in the movie, like you kind of said, like modern audiences kind of can't, you can't really give them full practical anymore, unfortunately. And so I think it really works in their favor that they went so big because, like, they really did push this movie as, like, a big summer blockbuster. And yeah, they did. I, I, I mean, it, it was a big... Like, I remember, like, watching this trailer all the time in theaters and being, like, frozen. Like, so ready to watch it. And so yeah. I think I think the the scale of him and the size of him just works so well. And I'm, I'm not... Sh- like, you can get that impractical, but it's tougher. Um and so I think it pays off really well. And I think part of that, too, it, the thing that works out so well is that uh, Gareth Edwards, the director, knows how to make a monster movie. Um, have you seen Monsters from 2010? I've only seen parts of it. But the parts oh. I've seen, I really liked. It's, yeah. It's, that's a movie where that they movie. have to like travel from like Mexico to somewhere else. And they have to go through like this basically illegal border crossing. But it's all infested with monsters. Yeah, so, like, it's basically, like, aliens are brought back into the world by accident when, like, a probe gets, like, it crashes on re-entry, and then, yeah, most of Mexico becomes, like, overrun and quarantined with, like, these monstrous entities that are, like, massive and scary and intense, and then you're following, like, a group of people who are trying to, like, essentially kind of almost, like, illegally cross the border and, like, kind of investigate what's going on and, like document it um so there's a lot of monsters in that and it's really cool like i really like that movie when i watched it i was like this is really cool and so i I think think it has like a cult following i think people like it oh good okay that makes me happy because i i think i rented it from somewhere or something like i don't remember how i watched it at the time but i like i think i checked it out from the library maybe um and it was one of those ones i was like i've never heard anyone talk about this movie before in my life but it's cool as fuck um, yeah. So I think him directing that beforehand and getting to play with the the concept of putting monsters on screen pays off really well because then when he comes to Godzilla, like Gareth Edwards knows what he's doing, you know, like yeah, he knows yeah. how big to make them and like how what like needs to be done in terms of all of that to make it land well. So I think I do. I agree. I, I do think that transition of translating him from practical to like fully computer generated does end up working really well. Um, and and they do a good job keeping this movie Godzilla in the dark a lot. So yeah. because he's not in like the broad daylight, a lot of his, of his not not a lot of detail is needed in terms of like we don't want to see him in broad daylight. So we're not like pick, nitpicking all these small details. Yeah, they keep him in at nighttime in the shadows where he belongs. Like mm-hmm. they do a good job translating it from the from the original movies and the you know the older movies mm-hmm. i think they do also a good job making him look fucking enormous which i yes. love i love yes. a good just huge kaiju monster it is i like 
when a movie does a good job with their spatial awareness, making yes. me realize I'm this small and then Godzilla is that big. Like, oh, I love that. And yeah. I think they did a good job in this movie. Even with the mutos, like the female muto and the male muto. Yeah. Like, you don't really realize the size difference until they meet. And then you realize the female is like fucking huge, like yeah. way bigger than the male. And Just it's such ginormous. a cool, a really cool moment when you realize that. I, I love that. Big fan yeah. of that. Yeah. I I agree. Go off. I don't have anything uh, to add. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we have to pause the conversation on Godzilla 2014 because oh, it, we've talked about it way longer than I thought we were going to talk about it in a good way. Yes. Love this movie a lot. We just love Godzilla. <laughs> we do love Godzilla. A part of the question that our patron requested was to kind of talk about Godzilla 2014 mm-hmm. and then talk about other movies that have been inspired by Japanese media. Yes. And you and I, mostly you, uh, brainstormed a bunch of movies that have been inspired by Japanese media. Let's talk about a few of them. Okay. Battle Royale. Oh, my God. You're a Battle Royale stan? Battle Royale is like one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, Give us a quick summary of Battle Royale if people have never heard of Battle Royale, which is crazy, I know, but some people may not know what Battle Royale is. I know that's so wild. Um, if you haven't heard of it, definitely check it out. It's originally a book, um, and which I've it... read, by the way. Oh, I still need to read the book. I really want to, and I believe now there's also a graphic novel that you can do. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, but basically, it's a story which depicts um, like a semi dystopian Japan where crime among like among the younger generations is like rampant and so the government essentially passes like a proclamation called like the battle royale act where they authorize for the government to choose um a class of students i think by lottery but i don't remember like they choose a class of students essentially tell them they're going on a class trip and really they're kidnapping them and taking them to an isolated island and then they are fitted with collars around their necks which track them and also possess like an explosive device and they're given a bag with a weapon of some kind in a map and then they're told you guys have to kill each other in the next two days and if you don't have like one winner by the end you all die and so it becomes very similar to the hunger games our american version um in that you're following these students who have grown up together and have lived together for years and like studied together and they're having to essentially massacre each other for their own survival and you get to watch like the shifting personalities and how they react to that like some of the kids handle it very poorly some of them like give into the bloodshed right away some of them are trying to like combat the ga- the government and escape like with more than just one survivor um it's a really cool it's really cool uh <laughs> and do, what is the uh, american influence um, or, i'm sorry what is the what is the movie influenced by this well, classic classic story so this is a little tricky because miss suzanne collins claims she was not inspired at all by this um which is i guess in theory possible although Bullshit. i know because the book and the movie were both out before Hunger Games was ever written, and Battle Royale was, like, a massive commercial success. Um, so it's kind of hard to believe her on that. Um, but if she wants to say her main inspiration was the short story The Lottery and then also flipping channels between game shows and Survivor, or some game shows and Survivor or whatever, I don't remember. Uh, the news and Survivor, I think, is what she was doing. But 
If that's what she wants to say her inspiration is, I guess we'll let her do that. However... Yeah, you, you do you. Say what yeah. you believe, and that's what you believe. Yeah. I will listen to it and and respect you for it. Mm-hmm. But it's w- really, really, like, insanely close to the Battle Royale There's series. a lot of similarities. Um there's even in Battle Royale, like, kind of like a star-crust lovers kind of. Like, there's a lot going on where you're like, Yes, yes. Oh, I always, okay. always forget about the, the romance in Battle Royale. But yeah. Yes. To you know, a young man, a young woman, they 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 fight to survive together. Mm-hmm. There's a group trying to get out. There's yeah. one person who really embraces the games and, like, goes crazy about it. Yeah, well, there's... there's... Oh, yeah, because they, they basically have careers, too, because they, they put in these two kids who, like, volunteer to go, and, like, they want yeah. to go, and they're, like, basically, like, hyper-trained to be there. So they... Yeah. yeah they basically... Battle Royale basically does the careers as well. So The Hunger Games yeah. is eerily similar. Obviously, though, as well, though, The Hunger Games kind of takes on a bigger i would say in a way bigger like stance on like breaking down the government entities like our kids in battle royale are fighting the government but it's much more of almost like an internal battle it's not like their survival is going to ensure that the whole country starts rebelling like correct correct yeah whereas the hunger games it's much more about collectivism and like getting to that point of like having the entire population fight back yeah like it's a greater rebellion than what battle royale is doing so there's definitely major deviations in that regard um the general idea also with hunger games is that it's a group of strangers being put together because they're coming from different districts whereas battle royale it's kids who have known each other other. since they were five um so the relationship dynamics are also just very different in both movies um but it is a cool thing to compare just like the way they're going about depicting these rather similar premises and how they're dealing with those themes um so yeah but yeah. i love i love battle royale it's so good and, and we love the hunger games like yes. we're we're battle royale and hunger games fans here we are we are very big hunger games fans so okay that's okay. one yep that's one there's a bug's life which you may be thinking what a bug's life yeah yes <laughs> A Bug's Life is basically a Western adaptation. Um, and when I say Western, I mean American. I don't mean like actual Western. There's also a literal Western adaptation. The Magnificent Seven yep. is an actual adaptation of the Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. Bug's Life as well, an adaptation of Seven Samurai, or at least heavily in- influenced inspired by Seven Samurai by Akira Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. The very now classic story of a group of people who are in need of help mm-hmm. because they're being attacked or oppressed by a different group of people. And so they seek out warriors to help them defend their land. And that's basically Seven Samurai. Basically, the bug's life is the mm-hmm. exact same thing, which, you know, for those who don't know, I think would be surprised, but it, it works really well in Bugs Life. I know you and it I are does. big Bugs Life fans. Oh yeah, I'm a I, I'm a, a Bugs Life kiddo through and through. I love Bugs Life to death. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, I I will confess I haven't seen Sam, Seven Samurai yet. Um, Ooh, interesting. I really need to. How are you on the Kurosawa like filmography? Have you finished <sighs> or have you started any ones besides Seven Samurai, or have you gone into it? Have you dived? 
I have head first dived, into the air. Um, dove? Me... Dove head first? Probably dove? I think it dived? would be I think it would be dove. I've If you dove head first into the filmography of Akira Kurosawa. Yes. Um let's see what all I've seen really quick. I'm just going to pull it up so I don't get it wrong. Um okay. So I have seen Sanjuro and Yojimbo, which were both pretty cool. Um, okay. I've seen Hidden Fortress, which I love. I love Hidden Fortress. And we'll get to that one in a second. Yep, we will. And then I've also seen High and Low, which I know is maybe arguably up there as one of his most popular and like beloved. But I mm-hmm. didn't like that one very much because there's virtually no women in it. And I was okay. sad. Um, <laughs> but that's it. I've only seen four so far. I really, really need to see more. Um, I'm getting there slowly but surely. How many have you that's, seen? That's fair. Okay, I okay. have not seen that many as well. I've oh, only okay. really started to get into Kurosawa Maybe with the last couple of years. I've seen Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. I've seen Rashomon. Okay. And I've seen... Uh, uh, Throne of Blood. Oh, okay. So it's called Throne of. I just watched yes. it the other day. I, I'm looking. At I the was list. gonna say Blood of Thrones, but it's definitely Throne of Blood. Throne of Blood, yes. Um, <laughs> which I really liked. I liked Throne of Blood a lot. Like Seven Samurai a lot, and I liked uh, Rushmore a lot. I like Throne of Blood the most so far. It's Ooh, basically okay. it's just Macbeth. It's an adaptation <gasps> of Macbeth. Oh, dope. Which is, I mean, Macbeth is such a classic story. Yeah. And it's really interesting when it's, you know, translated into Japanese culture. I think it was it worked really, really well. I think you'd like um Throne of Blood a lot. Ooh, it's, it's, yeah. it's just Macbeth. Macbeth is dope. Yeah, I love Macbeth. Um So that being said, since you've seen Hidden Fortress, and Hidden mm-hmm. Fortress is the major inspiration for some some popular small <laughs> film that you may have heard of. Can you tell us about it? The Hidden Fortress is the inspiration for little indie film Star Wars. Episode Star one. Wars. <laughs> Don't know if anybody's seen that one, but yeah, Star Wars. Yeah. Um. Basically, Hidden Fortress depicts like these two peasants who are trying to like make a profit, and then they like find these other people who are kind of in need of guidance, and they all kind of link up. Um, and they become pals, and they save the day. And that's a terrible summary but I'm sticking with it because I just think you should watch it instead. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, Star Wars is heavily influenced by that. And I think it works really well, like taking the characters from that and then applying it to Luke and Leia and Han um, works magnificently. Like you, you see so much of Hidden Fortress in their mannerisms and like, it's really cool to see. Okay. Sorry. I am getting the most tech, like texts and messages right now I've ever received in my entire life. That's so I funny. I do not get it. No, it's not. It's really annoying, Clara. Oh, I no. hate it. I'm so sorry. I'm going D and D right now. <laughs> focus. Okay. Um, yeah, I've been meaning to watch Hidden Fortress soon. I know people love it. Clearly, it obviously inspired uh, Star Wars. I think Star Wars is is taking a lot, not just from Hidden Fortress, but from a lot of like Kurosawa and just like Japanese yes. media in general. Absolutely. Just like the idea of of a samurai heavily influences the idea of a Jedi, from what yes, I understand. Exactly. So. And um, actually, I have another random one. I'm not going to say a lot because it's just one episode. But an episode of the Clone Wars, the Star Wars show, um, season two, episode seven, is also based off of Seven Samurai um oh they, they okay. do like the same concept in that one and then it's cool because after the episode ends and the credits start they say it's it's dedicated to kurosawa 
Um, Aww, yeah, that's cool. very sweet. Um, so yeah, he, his filmmaking and his storytelling have played a massive part in the creation of Star Wars and kind of setting the foundation of like what those do and what they're trying to say. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Very cool. Very cool. Pacific Rim, I have seen. You have not. I have not. Basically, it's just a Guillermo del Toro doing his best kaiju impression. Cool. Which is, in my opinion, a lot of fucking fun. I had a great time with it. I don't know if there's anything specific he is inspired by. I'm sure there is. But the idea of just kaiju in general definitely stems from Japanese media. So... I like Pacific Rim a lot. I'm I'm curious to see how you feel once you see it. It's going to be an interesting conversation. I really want to see it, and I'm so excited to see it. And the thing I keep seeing all the time, actually, I see like people uploading the same interview over and over again. Is uh, Charlie Day's doing an interview on a red carpet talking about his character uh, in the sequel to Pacific Rim? But I oh, love I've never it. seen the sequel. Oh, I yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I haven't either, obviously. Um, but yeah. <laughs> he's just kind of. Someone asks him like, "Tell us like about like where your character's at like during this movie," and he's like kind of going in depth about it. And then he like mentions another character, and the the interviewer goes, "Oh yeah, a lot of people on the internet like ship them." And Charlie Day's like, "Oh no, yeah. When I was playing this character, I was playing him as gay. Like I want." Oh, I want- it's okay. I know who you're talking about. So okay. in the first movie. So Charlie Day in the movie is a scientist. Oh. Uh, so yeah, you're gonna love it. He's a scientist, <laughs> and so in the in Pacific Rim, the first one, they hire the military basically hires two scientists to kind of get an understanding of the kaiju, so they can figure out what the why they're attacking Earth or where they're coming from, just get as much information as possible. Mm. And so the two scientists are Charlie Day. And the other actor is a big actor. I can't remember his name. Once you see his face, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who that is. Um, the one scientist, who I can't remember his name, he is more, like, mathematical and analytical. He is, like, using math to determine when the attacks will happen and trying to predict the future, like, the level of catastrophe they'll cause. Oh, cool. And Charlie Day's character is much more like a psychological biology scientist where he wants to like study their like the, their brain and understand oh, what they are and, like their yeah. motivations and like right so they're kind of like opposite of each other because one's like super analytical and mathematical and one is super mm-hmm. like we need to understand them as like a monster as a human being like mm-hmm. what their motivations are mm-hmm. and so they're constantly butting heads throughout the movie and they're always like just like bickering together, but a thousand percent that's the the, <laughs> the uh, couple people ship because they're constantly butting heads, but they like at the end they like love each other because oh they're like God. they're in in the same thing together. They both love the kaiju together. Ooh, um, okay, cool. See, so I've been really interested because I just hear Charlie <laughs> Day like rave about it. He's like, yeah, they're in love. Like I like he, oh, I yeah. play him as they're in love, and I'm like, oh yay! Like that's for nice. sure. I get it. I get it. I get it. Uh, okay. We also found on the internet that, well, I didn't know this I, I, until you told me, that the movie yes. Chronicle, yes, which is about a bunch of kids who get superpowers, yep, is very inspired by Akira, which is yes. an extremely popular Japanese anime. Yeah, we could have spent this segment just talking about stuff influenced by Akira, honestly. <laughs> Seriously. Akira, by the way, kicks so much ass. It's I love so Akira dope. to death. It's. I guess we oh. could have talked about the Akira motorcycle slide in Nope. Yeah, <laughs> Nope has the Akira. Mo- well, I, I think right. Nope is the first live adaptation 
uh, reference to that, right? Is that what that... I believe so. I mean, Jordan Peele, I think, has fully admitted it was definitely yeah. just a uh, straight-up homage to yeah. Akira. He's yes. like, I wanted to fucking put the motorcycle slide in my movie. Which is so dope. But if you've ever watched an, like another anime or cartoon or anything where someone on a motorcycle does like a slide kind of maneuver and it's this shot of them like sliding across the screen and they're leaning and it's really cool, that's Akira. Um, countless people have done homages to just that one scene. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Chronicle is inspired by Akira, which is really interesting. Akira is like kind of about again a kid kind of accidentally acquiring like massive amounts of power and then the way that power kind of corrupts him and leads to like total devastation um and chronicle follows something kind of similar where this group of friends get powers and then one of them kind of starts to turn a little corrupt as a result of that new power um and it's about like his friends trying to like bring him back from like the brink of like proper villainy essentially um chronicle is so good if you haven't seen it i love chronicle it's probably one of my favorite like superhero movies if uh if we want to say it's a superhero movie which i do i think it you is can make that argument movie. yeah 100 yeah i love akira so much and i i mean now that we make the connection and the parallels mm-hmm. it, it's, it's so obvious you know one person getting this extreme amount of power mm-hmm. it going to their head and then leading to just chaos and destruction yeah um it's essentially what akira is about uh mm-hmm. but i think i don't how do they get the powers in chronicle i do not remember at all in chronicle it, i think it's like an asteroid that falls down or something yeah an asteroid falls down and then the thing about chronicle too is it's mostly it's like a found footage type movie like where it's shot like through the, the guys's video cameras and whatnot um but an asteroid crashes and so they like are filming themselves they're like let's go down and like check it like let's go down the hole it made and like check it out and as they're down there they stumble into a cavern that like gives them telepathic powers powers. yeah it's pretty cool yes yes okay that's that's what i remember but there are even like certain shots that i'm remembering now in chronicle yeah there's obviously a direct reference to akira yes yeah (laughs) akira kicks ass if you haven't read or watched akira highly recommend it once you read it or watch it actually once you watch it reading it's great I, i i have all of them as well oh cool but if you read it or watch it yeah, like Clara said, you'll start noticing all the influences it's had on just popular culture, whether yeah. that be Eastern or Western culture. It's just like it's so prevalent. Yes, it's everywhere. Absolutely. Um, a couple more before we end. Yes. Apparently, Avatar is inspired by Princess Mononoke. Mm. I say that with a hesitancy because, uh, yeah. It's also obviously very inspired by, like, Pocahontas. I think that's, like, not a stretch to make. I know people make that as a joke. Like, it's just Pocahontas with blue people. Mm. Uh, Which, I mean, it is. But Princess Mononoke, how do you feel about that? Do you think it it takes a lot of that, the the thematic elements in Mononoke and uses it in Avatar? I think thematically, yeah. I think in terms... I think one of the... the, My favorite things about Princess Mononoke is how it exhibits... um, people's rage against massive entities coming through and like destroying the world and how that rage manifests into action rather than just like sitting there and being upset like it's very much a story of like feel your rage and use your rage to combat the things that are killing the planet um and i do think to an extent avatar does that as well um it's tough though because with princess mononoke like 
the the two main characters like one of them is kind of technically an outsider but he himself is also coming from like an indigenous group and yes exactly and like that indigenous rage is a really big part of princess mononoke and so it's tough comparing that to avatar because avatar the one of the main characters is very much not indigenous um, and he obviously spends a lot of time striving to integrate into indigenous culture um, and is ultimately successful in that. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's the other tough thing is, is like by the end of Princess Mononoke, like these two people who have come together, like the outsider goes back to being the outsider. It's not like he's like, I'm going to be a part of the community now that I've saved you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's very much exactly. like. I'm going to respect our boundaries and stick to them. And once the world is preserved, like I'm going to go on my way because this is not where I belong. Whereas yeah. Avatar obviously takes a very different stance on that. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, it's tough. I do see parts of it. I do see like the rage and just like the the greed of civilization um, eating away at nature. I, that's obviously a very big implication. Um, but yeah, I I was we were talking about it and you brought that up and I was like, oh, like that's interesting. Yeah. Um, there are parallels there. There's no yeah, denying that. Yeah. For sure. I'm going to list off a couple more before okay. we end. Cool. Oh. Oh my god, Clara, are are you texting me as a joke right now? No, no I swear to god you. I'm not texting you. Um Okay. <laughs> my god, I'm like what is going on? Oh no. Um Here's a few more. Okay. Perfect Blue, Black Swan. Yep. Kill, Bro- Kill Bill and the movie Lady Snowblood, which I have not seen, but I've heard many, many, many good things. Ditto. Uh, Ring and Ring, the or I guess you can say Ringu, the yeah. Japanese original. Mm-hmm. There's also The Grudge and Juon. All of J-horror is a whole, this could have been a whole episode on J-horror. I know, Which yeah. is, you know, a lot of American films adapting the popular horror Japanese films. Mm-hmm. To some success and to others not successful at all, but that's yeah. another episode probably. <laughs> Ooh, uh, anything yeah, else you want to mention real quickly before we uh, depart? Um, oh, oh, The Departed and uh, Infernal Affairs? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that depart, one. So um, and then the other that. one I'll bring up is that Inception is heavily inspired or stealing. I don't know which one, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, from the animated film Paprika which is Paprika. really cool and really trippy to watch. Um, and it's dealing with virtually the same concepts as Inception, where uh, people are going into dreams as a way to combat like evil people. Wow, sounds so familiar. Yeah, mm. so bizarre how that's happening. Mm. Um, weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to think. I think that's it. Oh, also I was going to just say, obviously, like, Pokemon as an entire Japanese, like, media entity in terms of trading cards and all kinds of stuff is also what inspired, obviously, Detective Pikachu, uh, the movie. Yeah. Which, actually, I would argue, is a good example of taking something cartoony and bringing it into live action and making it I look... love Detective Pikachu. I love Detective Pikachu. And, they, like, the, the Pokemon in that don't look soulless like a lot of Disney's no. animated or live action animals do. Um, they clearly are very, like, well animated and they have life in them, which is cool. Yeah, um, personality, a little bit of pizzazz to them. Yeah. I love them. Yeah, they're so cute. Okay. Um, and that's everything <laughs> that Any I have. Any final thoughts on anything else before we close out? We talked a lot about a lot of things. <laughs> um, we really did. I'm say? trying to think. Um, I think my last thing would say would be that, and I need to do this as well. I think 
as American viewers, it's really, really easy to just gravitate towards the American adaptations of Japanese media, and also, honestly, any other country's media. Like, <laughs> we even have an adaptation, American adaptation now of A Man Called Otto, which is from, I think, Sweden or Finland or something. So it's like, our, our tendency is very much so to lean towards the Americanized version of these stories. I think partially because a lot of people sit down and they're like, I don't want to read subtitles or whatever that bullshit is. Ridiculous. Um, I have subtitles on everything. everything. Even American everything. shows. Cooking channel, yep. subtitles. Yep, subtitles exactly. everywhere. No, I'm the same. Um, But so I think it's in American nature to gravitate towards the American stories because they represent our ideals more or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, but if you ever are sitting down with an American film and it turns out that it is adapted from a different country's original source material, I highly recommend taking the time and watching both. Um, I know it's easier not to sometimes, but it's always worthwhile and honestly kind of important to be engaging with the countries of origin for a lot of media because, uh, it, it's just where it came from and it's kind of rude and silly <laughs> to not be engaging with that original source material when you can like it's really not that hard um so I highly recommend doing that I'm I have that problem too I need to be engaging more with non-western media um and I think that's yeah natural for a lot of people yes Even people like us who are more yes. in tune and obviously have like this stake in the world of movies and cinema yeah yeah, sometimes it's easy for us to not not really dismiss the original, but we just don't make the time for it. Yeah, sometimes. like put it and off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it is like you said, perfectly. It's very important to yeah. try to seek those out and understand because that's it's, it's that or the country's story for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just because the American adaptation is more accessible doesn't mean it's the one that we should always be kind of automatically going towards. We yeah. should be trying to seek out the original one because it it likely has different messaging mm-hmm. different themes it's tackling a different point of view and perspectives it's important for us to really look into the originals always yeah. did you see that they're re- remaking and this is crazy i know but <gasps> they are remaking an american version of speak no evil no way I swear to god a movie that came out not even a year ago maybe i hate that a, that makes a, me so mad wild dude wild it's not even it's not even a year old it may be two years old at most the audacity of doing that and also like so much of that doesn't work because american culture is not about like politeness and like just dealing with uh, discomfort americans never shut up about being uncomfortable so it's like oh there's no way the american version will even push the boundaries the dutch version did no never wow i'm like fired up like (laughs) that's ridiculous i think the sad part is, is that the cast is kind of good. And oh, it's like, of course it is. I think James McAvoy is going to be in it. Oh, wow. I, it, okay, it could be Daisy Edgar Jones as the, <gasps> the the female lead, but I could be wrong. Wow. Oh, now I want to look it up. Yeah, look it American up. Let's just, let's just, let's give them the promo. <laughs> James McAvoy star in American Remake. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Blumhouse and Universal. Oh, they for oh. sure won't go... No. The distance then. They're going to sanitize it for sure. A thousand percent. Damn. Um, that sucks. Okay. I don't see any. Maybe Desi- Daisy Air Jones was not confirmed for it. Okay. That's I could okay, be wrong. Okay. Don't worry. No, it's, 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 a, it's a good thing. It's a good thing for Daisy Air Jones not to be Honestly true. Yeah. <laughs> 
Wow. Yeah. So, anyways, this will exist forever. Yeah. Anytime there's a very popular foreign film that is not American, Americans mm-hmm. will hop on the boat real quick to try to remake it. So, the moral of the story is seek out the original, try it out, and yeah. give it a shot. It likely will be better. Yes. Very few cases where the American version is superior. Honestly, so true. Great. Okay. Okay. Well, we've reached the end. Yeah, we did it. At this point in the podcast, I will say, Clara, welcome back to the public side of things. But if you want to hear Clara's voice every single week, we talk about the MCU because we're going through the entire MCU. Currently, we are watching Captain America Civil War. Yes. We just finished Ant-Man. Clara loved Ant-Man. I love Ant-Man. I go on a little, I go on a rant about Ant-Man it was great. <laughs> How do you feel about the MCU so far? I mean, we're 12 episodes in. Oh, yeah. We've done 12 episodes because there's been 12 movies so far. Um, How do you feel? Overall, I'm having a lot of fun still. I'm still having a good time. I'm still Stockholm syndroming myself about it. Um, but I will say it's nice sitting down with this massive franchise and like properly like marathoning it, essentially. Like, we're watching at least one or two a week. And just getting a better grasp on the characters and their arcs and the overall arching story going on in these, um, which is a great thing to be able to take in and understand fully. But it also is my source of frustration because consistently there's a lot of problems with the writing. Um, and Very that, consistently. Very consistently. And that will forever bum me out. Um, <laughs> but overall, I'm still having a really great time. Um, I'm excited for us to get started on phase three. A uh, lot of good movies coming up, I think. Have you started Civil War yet or no? No, I was probably going to watch it after we're done recording this, actually. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I have a lot of thoughts. There's going to be so much to talk about when we talk about Civil War. Ooh, it's going to okay. be wild. Yay. Okay. Well, anyway, so if you want to hear Claire and I talk about the MCU, literally movie by movie from the beginning, we're only on Civil War, so not hard to catch up. You can check out the Patreon. Exclusive episodes are there. We also have episodes on A24 movies and horror movies. There's so much there. Check out the Patreon. But if you can't subscribe, guess what? Do not worry. We're just happy to have you supporting yeah. uh, by listening. It means yeah. a lot to us that you just listen. Absolutely. It means the world. And shout out to our patron, Dax, who requested this episode on Godzilla 2014. Yep. So happy you did because I loved it. Really, yeah. really enjoyed watching it again. And it led to this wonderful conversation on Godzilla. Yeah. So if you're in that tier, you get to request an episode. We have an episode on Scott Pilgrim eventually mm-hmm. and another indie movie that I did not know of until someone mentioned it. Have you heard of Little Fish? I've heard of it a ton and I've been dying to watch it. So I'm really excited that someone's requested it. So that's the perk you get for being in that tier. So again, everybody who's been subscribed to Patreon, thank you so much. Everyone else just for listening. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Clara? Yes. I'll talk to you later. Okay. (laughs) I was like, oh, a new question. What could it be? Uh, No, I will talk to you later. Everybody else who's been listening, I will probably not talk to you later, but thank you so much for listening. Yeah. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.